We are continuing our series through the Beatitudes, which we are calling the Attitudes, and I'd like to start by reading all of them again for us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Listen to God's Word. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord God, in these moments in which we examine your word, I pray that you would guide the words of my mouth and you would guide the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord. Draw us close to you with this radical vision of what it means to know you and to follow you. And draw us close to one another as we support that vision for one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to build on Tracy's sermon from last week in which she talked about the poor in spirit. And I so appreciated how she set the stage for us in regard to what the Beatitudes mean. And how she reminded us that we don't come to God out of our own strength. We come to God out of our poverty because we can't save ourselves. It's just not in us, it's not possible. But as we turn to the Lord and, and we receive God's grace and mercy, then we receive the forgiveness that we need and we receive um, purpose moving into the future. When I'm working on preaching, I always look for illustrations that I think will illuminate the text for us and give us a window into what it is that is being taught in this. And our text for today is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, I don't have, didn't have to look very far for illustrations, nor do you. Unfortunately, this is, this is a situation that touches all of our lives, including right now, perhaps. Um, mourning is just part of the deal in life. We are given grace and we are given mercy, we are given many joys in life, but we live in a sinful world, and life is oftentimes very, very difficult. I think in my own life of mourning some of my dreams when I was younger where I wasn't able to accomplish things that, that I had really wanted to be able to do. I think of the mourning over the loss of my father. And I think of the mourning over the loss of my in-laws, mom and dad Baker. And I think about the dreams I've watched my children raise up and sometimes receive and, and the mourning that they've felt when those have been dashed in some particular way. It's just impossible for us in life to get everything that we want. I'm always interested in the context of Scripture, and so I asked myself the question this week, what's Jesus up to in this second beatitude? Why has Jesus ordered these in the particular way he did? Why does poor in spirit get followed by mourning? If we look back to the beginning of Matthew's Gospel and see what happened in Jesus' life, there's a huge rush of things that happened very, very quickly. Beginning in Matthew 4, we see Jesus tempted in the wilderness. And he's out there and Satan tempts him in three very important ways and Jesus 
Even being very hungry, he resists those temptations. He quotes scripture, and he moves out of the wilderness then into his public ministry. He's baptized. The disciples have been called. He's preached his first sermons. He's given his first healings and his first miracles. So as Jesus comes to the Sermon on the Mount, as we think about what Jesus has seen and what he has experienced, what he has understood for the people around him, he's felt the weight of temptation that you and I feel each and every day. He has called disciples to look at a new possibility for life, not based in the particular vocations that they did, but, but in following him, just as he calls us in and also beyond our vocations to serve him in the world. He has begun by his preaching and by his miracles to convince people that he is the Son of God, that he is one who is different from anyone else who's ever been there before. And so, as Jesus thinks about what, as he sees what's happening around him and thinks about what is needed for people who are going to be following him, one of the things he realizes right off is that people will look to him as a powerful, wise young man who is going to lead them into getting them everything that they want because of course he can. And Jesus needs to set the record straight. This is not going to be a typical success story. And only at the very end of his life, at the cross and the empty tomb, will the disciples understand this. But it's important for us not to look to Easter too quickly, even though we've just been there, but to look at the, the empty tomb and to look at the circumstances of our lives and to follow Jesus in the way that he leads us to follow. The Beatitudes are at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and the sermon as a whole in Matthew chapters five, six, and seven places forth a radical vision of what it means to follow Jesus and a radical vision of what it means to understand the world through the eyes of God's eyes rather than our own. Very, very important for us. So we need to be straight early on that yes, we're, <clears throat> we're following a savior who is wise and who is powerful and can do so many things, but he's leading us not into a triumphalism of a political state, but he's leading us into a vision of the kingdom of God. Now all of us have to mourn. It happens at some time, and perhaps all too often in many of our lives, to express the emotion of having lost someone or having lost something, it's common to our human condition. Last week, Pastor Tracy talked about how we have trivialized in our culture at large the word blessing and how it appears in so many different places and, and doesn't really at all mean what, uh, what God intended for it to mean. I'd like to hone that in a little bit more this morning on what we as Christians have done to the word blessing. Uh, in an amazing book called The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard writes this. We, meaning us as Christians, <clears throat> have fractured and misled and corrupted the meaning of blessed or blessed to suggest that when life is good, it means God is favoring us and when it's hard that we must be doing something wrong and God is punishing us. Because think about our conversations with people. Oh, I felt really blessed today because God did this for me. But Jesus is saying we should be able to, because of the comfort and presence of God with us, to say, I was blessed today even though this happened to me. That the vision is not to move us around the challenges of life, but to move us through these in the presence of our Lord and Savior. 
we unfortunately have a tendency in our culture to think of success in, in very cultural terms, that in strength and weakness or in winners and losers. And so if we are winning something, we feel like we're blessed, we're successful. When we're weak, we don't think quite so much so. If we're losing, we don't feel blessed. So what Jesus is reminding us is that God walks in with us in all of these circumstances and just because the circumstances aren't favorable, it does not mean we are not blessed. It does not mean God is punishing us. It means that God is inviting us in the midst of whatever that circumstance is to see his presence alongside us walking with us. That God knows our weaknesses and God wants very much to live with us in the midst of those. <clears throat> I'm going to read you two passages this morning from Isaiah. I'm gonna go in reverse order. <clears throat> the first one is Isaiah 61. And this is a passage that we also find in Luke chapter four where Jesus preaches this of himself. Now it's, it's being read this morning as a prophecy about Jesus, but then Jesus claims this for himself. This is what it says in Isaiah 61, one through three. The words that Jesus then spoke of himself. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and a release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. The time that this was written, Israel was in exile, and they were trying so hard to look beyond it. They're trying to look forward they're trying to look beyond the oppression that is weighing down upon them. They're trying to look beyond the weight of disappointment that God has allowed them to be in these circumstances. You can hear the sense of loss and hopelessness and then God breaks in with this, this promise that there is someone who will come and say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, to give gladness instead of mourning. When we fail to acknowledge our mourning and loss and try to move around it, in many ways we exclude God from God's opportunity for healing and for presence for us in the midst of it. Let's look for a moment at the brokenness that we, that we see that we are going to invite God into. There's physical mourning that you and I have experienced or have seen in others. We, we have all lost a loved one of some kind. We have all seen and known people who have disabilities. We've observed folks descend into dementia. We've watched shattered dreams. We've watched sin and loss and loneliness. Our bodies don't hold up for the years that we would like for them to do and we're strained sometimes by the erosion of health for those we love. And sometimes we're shattered by emergencies that pull someone away from us in unexpected ways. These times of loss bring us to mourning. God says, I will meet you there. Some of us struggle economically. Unemployment has touched many lives. People have experienced foreclosures. Investments are down. Resources are lacking. 
And these are never easy, but they can be especially devastating when we have a child we want to send to college or, or we're moving toward retirement and we just don't think it's going to be enough. And God says, I want to stand with you in the midst of that. We look at justice and, more importantly, injustice around our country and around the world. We observed last week the assassination of Martin Luther King. We remembered him and his ministry. We think about national struggles. We think of international threats. Those have been on our minds recently. They cause us to mourn, to be afraid. And we oftentimes mourn the state of our country. We remember that this is intensely personal for some of our brothers and sisters. The injustices that people experience, they hurt. They're personal for those that we love. In the earliest of times when Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, there's been suffering and mourning and loss. And we as Christians understand this, <clears throat> and we mourn all of this as evidence not just of some random thing happening, but as evidence of sin in our world, that the whole creation now is out of balance. The moral compass of our culture deviates from the truth. Our ability to be kind to one another even seems to escape us even in small ways, but we see it becoming woven into the fabric of our society. And so from the earliest of times, sin has caused this mourning. Sin has caused this suffering. Sin has caused this loss. And we experience just as much as anyone else, but we have a different perspective on it. Whether we mourn something that's happened in the past or whether we mourn something that's happening right now, or whether we look toward the future and know that the dreams we had hoped for are not going to happen, and we even mourn into the future. We ask God to meet us and to comfort us. And I think it's important to be honest with ourselves in this, because if we don't see ourselves as poor in spirit, if we don't claim that, that we need God to heal us and strengthen us from these things that we can't heal and strengthen ourselves from, then we're not gonna go to God. And when it's a time of mourning and we're absolutely shattered, and we're saying, God, where are you? And God says, I am here. If we miss the mourning, we miss the comfort. Because if we miss the mourning, then we continue to live our own lives out as if we can solve everything. And as I said earlier, we push God away from us when God wants to hold us closely. All of us mourn, no matter how successful we are, and the whole issue for us is the issue of dependency. This is an invitation to depend upon God, to see our circumstances in the larger context of the kingdom of God, and to look beyond our circumstances to those around us who are mourning as well. A self-centered society says it's all about me. A kingdom of God society says, Lord, you know my needs, how can I help others as well? And so into our mourning comes the promise that we will be comforted. It doesn't mean things are going to be solved. God doesn't promise that all of our issues will go away. But as it says in Hebrews 13 verse five, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Let's do a quick look at the word comfort because it's important. It doesn't appear only in this place. The word comfort means to, to call someone near for the purpose of encouraging them or 
or comforting them, to draw near to, to help them out through their time of need. And it's a spoken word. It's, it's a presence. It's not an idea in a book. <clears throat> it's not something to read. It's not something. It's something that envelops us through a personal touch from someone else. And this word appears elsewhere in John chapter 14, where Jesus, in teaching the disciples of what's going to come, says to them, I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. So put these two together. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus says, I will give you, the Father will give you a comforter who will be with you forever. It's the same word. So the promise of comfort is not some kind of random emotion that God's going to inject into our hearts. It's his very personal presence of standing next to us in our time of need. Now please know, I don't want to sound glib about any of this. Mourning is real, it's painful, I've experienced it myself, it's life-altering, it hurts. But the challenge is not to sidestep the mourning, it's to embrace the comfort of the God who is near us. And as one of your pastors in your care department, and, and Pete mentioned the many ways that we want to stand beside you in your times of need, I know many of you are going through some very deep struggles right now, and I know that it is hard. And I know you're searching for some word from God that will carry you and your family through the turbulent waters of the moment. And the most important thing I can say to you is that Jesus has sent that comforter to abide with us forever. Now, how do we experience that? Turning back to Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40, again, the people are in exile. And the, the chapter begins by saying, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Pray for her and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, her sin has been paid for. And then it goes into the voice calling into the wilderness to prepare a way for the Lord. And in the sense of God being close to us and wanting to walk with us, at the very end of the chapter, in Isaiah 40, verses 30 and 31, we see this. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. In 1974, a young Baptist pastor by the name of John Claypool published a book called Tracks of a Fellow Struggler. And the book is a compilation of four sermons that he preached in his church. And the occasion of those sermons had to do with the cancer diagnosis of his eight-year-old daughter, Laura Lou. That was the first sermon. The second sermon was right after she had gone into remission. The third sermon was preached shortly after Laura Lou passed away. And the fourth sermon was preached a year later. And Claypool unpacks this passage from Isaiah 40:31 in, I think, a very helpful way very meaningful, especially as we think about his context. It's been important to me through the years. And he says that sometimes God allows us and encourages us and energizes us to mount up with wings like eagles, that we're in times of ecstasy and victory and God's doing wonderful things in our lives and it's just so great to see God acting through us and 
We feel his strength, we feel his power, we feel his pleasure, as Eric Little said. These are to be celebrated. There are also times in our lives when we're given the strength to run and to not be weary. These are the times that we're getting a lot of things done, we're, we're strong in our faith and we're serving people well and things are going quite well and those are to be celebrated as well. But sometimes Claypool says, the greatest miracle of God that shows God's presence with us is when in the midst of mourning and pain and loss and confusion, God gives us the strength to walk and not faint to put one step in front of the other, knowing that as God comforts us, as he's with us, that he will bring us through that. And I don't know whether we get to run and not be weary again. I suspect we do. As we continue to walk, there may be opportunities again to, to mount up with wings like eagles. But don't diminish the power of God or the love of God for each and every one of us in those times when we are able to just walk and not faint. And one of the most important ways that we get there is by the, by the encouragement of the body of Christ. So we're mourning, God brings us the comforter, God, God stands beside us, God gives us strength. But one of the most important resources for us is one another in the body of Christ. God meets us with the encouragement of his promises in the Bible. He wraps us in the power of the Holy Spirit, our comforter, and he fleshes out his love for us through our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses three through five. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ, our comfort overflows. This is an invitation, it's a recognition that the comfort we receive is not meant to be kept for ourselves. It's to be cherished, it's to be valued, but it's also to be shared with those around us. You and I know people who are experiencing losses right now. And you and I know people who will encourage us when we're experiencing loss. We are called to band together. As Paul said to the Galatian church, Bear one another's burdens, and in doing so, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. I can tell you, um, in terms of pastoral care, when I have sat with people and, and been with them in times that have been difficult, and we've talked together uh, at later times, it's never that I said anything wonderful. It's never that I had any great wisdom. It's that I sat there with them. And that's what you and I are called to, to sit next to, one another, and I hope we could maybe imagine something before we leave this this morning. That we're sitting in a time of challenge, perhaps it's morning, and on our right is the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God. And on our left is the presence of the body of Christ. And so we are shoulder to shoulder with the two great resources that God gives us to bring us strength in our time of need. So friends, we can openly mourn our losses. It is healthy to do so. It is something God invites. We can receive the comfort of God who stands with us in all circumstances, but especially in our mourning. And we can stand alongside those who mourn now with the comfort that God has given us. God will give us strength for the moment. 
He will help us to mount up with wings like eagles. He will help us to run and not be weary. He will strengthen us to walk and not faint. Thanks be to God. Amen.